listening to White Truck. Oh yeah, are you ready to truck it? I'm Dooner here with the dude, Michael Vincent, and I am ready to truck it. And it's a little bit of a cool, wet uh, winter morning here. A lot of change since uh, yesterday and the day before, and it's like 72 degrees and Hey, what are you going to do? Hey, what it's Freight Alley. We love it. At least it's not a polar vortex. I know a lot of you in Texas had to deal with that. <sighs> right Last on. week, starting to heat up, though, so you're getting that back and coming from you. We are What the Truck. This is a podcast that happens Three times a week, live on FreightWaves TV, FreightWaves LinkedIn, FreightWaves Facebook at noon Eastern time. Then you can hear it on demand in those earpods you just won by looking up What the Truck on your favorite podcast player of choice. Or look up FreightCast. You'll get every single FreightWaves podcast, including all the sessions you hear at this event. That's right. We'll upload them there as well if you like listening to audio. Right on. Speaking of events, we have some great news. Live events live again. And the, this will be, will be the granddaddy of <laughs> this, them all. It will. It's the Coachella of Freight. It's, it's a Coachella F, of Freight. It's F3. Look, we have done all of our, our events in major cities. We've done Atlanta. We've done Chicago. We've done, uh, we've done Texas, right? This time, yes. because of the pandemic, a lot of places here in Chattanooga, they could use the business. So do your local communities, right? Yeah. We want to help our own. So we are hosting our next live event, our Festival of Freight Right here in Chattanooga, it's coming to you in November. What's going to happen at it? It's not just a conference, is it? It's not just a conference. It'll be an outdoor-indoor festival with music and entertainment throughout the uh, throughout the entire experience, oh. right? Uh, I mean, we'll be featuring discussions around all the modes, mm-hmm. all right, and trucking, air, ocean, rail. But we'll also dive deep into the future with drones, autonomous, and EVs. It's going to be amazing, right? It so is be. a submersive type of experience where you'll move about the city and experience all these new technologies. Firsthand. Well, you know, one of the things we're doing in this is, is um, I know EPB is getting involved. And when you talk about smart cities, right, it yeah. involves all of these different communities coming together. The energy community, right? The retail community, the freight and logistics community. We're going to bring it all together for you at F3 in November. Stay tuned for more details. But you know what? I haven't given away a prize in about, I don't know, a hot 30 minutes, so maybe I should give <laughs> yeah, away another one? Yeah, you've been, you, you've been looking a little uh, like you need to get something off your, you know, out of your pocket. Give it away. All right, let's give let's it away. See. Let's give it away. Now, I told you you can listen to all of these things, right, on your favorite podcast player of choice or your ears, but you can also watch all of these on the Freight Waves TV app. Download that and watch it on this item we're giving away right now. It's a beautiful Apple TV 4K, and let's see who the winner is. It's none other than CJ Prime Logistics. Carlos Palmer. Carlos Palmer, you are a winner. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful stuff. Check us out in uh, 4K. I have an Apple TV 4K. <laughs> I love it. Do you? Yeah, I do. Awesome. Just go in the App Store, look up Freight Waves TV, download the app, watch us in beautiful living color. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's hit the headlines. Let's do that. Yeah. There we go. All right. I feel like I'm at home. Right at home, right here with all of you. <laughs> Here we go. Reflecting a strong trucking market, TA sold amounts of diesel in Q, huge amounts of diesel in Q4, right? Yeah. John Kingston reports that Travel Centers of America, they sold a lot more diesel in the fourth quarter of 2020 than it did in the corresponding quarter of the previous year. Now, that might come as a surprise to some because, you know, pandemic had something shut down. Sure. But not to us because we know that freight was flowing and a lot of those trucks used diesel. In fact, it sold more diesel in the fourth quarter than it has in any other quarter in recent years. So that's the big surprise. Diesel sales came in at a whopping 492.67 million gallons. That's compared to 423.9 million gallons in the fourth quarter of 2019. 
Yeah, the fourth quarter 2020 numbers, the the number dwarfs any recent numbers recorded in the company. For example, diesel volumes sales at TA in the uh, second and third quarters of 2018. Most recent robust freight were 413 and 408. And what was it there? It was 492. Wow. So, I mean, and you're right. A lot of people probably didn't understand what was going on there. People aren't traveling, but man, freight was moving, bro. Hey, we, but speaking of people not traveling, this is where the impact was hit in yeah. the earnings for them. Gasoline sales, they dropped uh, to 63.2 million gallons from 73.2 million gallons in the fourth quarter of 2019. That's pretty significant. Yeah. TA's earnings also suffered from a decline in something we were covering a ton. This was how truckers get food. A lot of the restaurants in these travel centers were closed during the pandemic, so that operating revenue was, was down for them as well. So they're hoping to see some recovery there and obviously some proliferation of this vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we covered that quite extensively yeah. where they needed to be right there. Here's a company. We, we mentioned we talked about renewables and, and us trying to understand the, mm-hmm. the electric market. Last year, we talked to the CEO and founder, former CEO, chairman and founder of this company, Trevor Milton. And we talked to him right before that Hindenburg release came out and caused a lot of problems for that company, their GM <laughs> deal, everything. And, you know, the hits just keep on coming. But they put out their earnings report. And uh, let's see what was inside that. Alan Adler reports that startup electric truck maker Nikola Corp reported a Q4 loss of uh, – it was, a little, it was a loss of half of what analysts expected, right? Lost less than half of yeah. what. So they thought it was going to be worse. That's the good news for Nikola. Uh, they lost $146.8 million, right, in Q4 compared to 28 million in uh, October, December period of 2019. So not really great for the full year. They lost 384.3 million. And dude, the only revenue came from selling solar panels to that man, Trevor Milton. It, it, it did. <laughs> yeah. And Nickel expects to produce 50 to 60 or 50 to 100 battery, battery electric tray models still. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it generated its first meaningful revenue in fourth quarter of 2021. We'll see if that happens. But uh, so Chief Financial Officer Kim Brady told analysts on the company's earnings calls that that was the goal right there was going to happen. And production is being curtailed because of mostly because of shortages of battery cells and semiconductors mm. because of COVID-19. We've, we've seen that. It's happen. been another big issue, those semiconductors. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And CEO Mark Russell said, uh, so work restrictions in Germany where the tray is in prototype production has also slowed the progress a bit. Uh, for the first five tray prototypes are in the U.S. for testing and validation, and potentially customers could be invited to ride along on these programs to test these out by the middle of the year, uh, Russell said. But he also declined to say how many tro- uh, trays have uh, actually been ordered from, you know, backing off of the customer yeah, list. Yeah, and we talked to Alan Adler about that on Monday on the episode with uh, with Hylion's yeah. Thomas Healy. And Alan Adler said they're still going with the number of orders that they had, a number that of non-committal orders that they received when they were still marketing the vehicle that they were selling as the Nikola One, which was a which was a regular type of electric truck. This is a uh, this is a cab over yeah. truck that was originally designed for the European market. Seems a little bit like a backup plan, but they're kind of cleaning up their SKU line, too. They've canceled their power sports division. Now, if you went on Nikola, it looked like they had a lot of distractions. You may have heard of the Badger. Another thing they had on there was the Nikola Wave, which was a, uh, it looked like a $90,000 jet ski. Is that a like, big market for $90,000 jet skis? I don't know. Any out there buying $90,000 jet skis? <laughs> this cowboy's not. Uh, Chime in in the comments. Let us know. <laughs> well, they said in their SEC filing, too. We mentioned that Hindenburg. They said, we have incurred significant expenses as a result of the regulatory 
and legal matters relating to that Hindenburg article. The total cost associated with these matters will depend on many factors, like if they lose the case, including the duration of these matters and also any other findings. So I don't know. Nicholas still has a lot of time. Still is still going to have to work their way through getting out of those woods. Yeah, yeah, they've got a little navigating to do through some yeah. pretty murky waters right now. So, but they're cleaning up their act. It seems like they're seems they're like making some to. statements that are realistic yeah. and they're left yeah. in a tough slot. I mean, if you want to believe <laughs> yeah. that their best in, their best intentions are for investors in the company moving yeah. forward, they were left in a little bit of a lurch by by their previous uh, yeah they certainly chairman, were Trevor Milton. We talked to Hylion, right, on Monday. We mentioned it. He was telling us about his eight-minute battery, and we thought that was fantastic and revolutionary. Well, Nybolt has raised $10 million in a Series A funding, and they claim to have a battery that can charge in under a minute. Nybolt, a battery started by the University of Cambridge, received $10 million in funding on Thursday to continue his efforts in using niobium-based materials instead of lithium-ion to deliver faster charging and higher energy batteries. The Series A was led by IQ Capital. Yeah, it certainly was. The niobium-based batteries are what Nibolt calls paradigm-shifting battery technology uh, that have the potential to charge in less than one minute. Niobium material is capable of delivering extraordinarily high power and ultra-fast charge and high energy density. Wow. Which is something we learned from uh, Tom Healy, Thomas Healy about sure energy density. All about it. Yeah, I mean, these batteries will likely be two. Here's the issue. Here's the problem. Yeah. The batteries will likely be two to three times more expensive than your standard EV battery. You're going to have to pay that cost to be the early adopter. But if time is money to you and you want to invest in this tech and you think it's important to your fleet, this might be a company to consider. But also, we recommend you go back. Like I mentioned, look up What the Truck, your favorite podcast player. And listen to that interview with Thomas Healy we had from Highland. It was fascinating to hear the direction that they're going in and why they're picking the battery technology they did. Because we talked about this niobium, we've talked about lithium ion. It's getting a little bit confusing now with these multiple different intermediaries yeah. and players and, and um, technologies and mineral-based batteries. Yeah, it certainly is. And there's a lot of development that still needs to be done here, right? Uh, the safety aspect of the high-intensity uh, 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 charge and discharge, right, with the heat of the battery and so on, so... Let's go over to our next. Let's go to our first guest. I shouldn't even say that. Our next guest at the uh, at the Global Supply Chain yes. Week, but our first guest on what the truck today is Jennifer Braun. She's the VP of Kansas City Operations over at Trinity Logistics. Hey, Jennifer, thank you for joining us on the air today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Hey, we had uh, we had a gentleman on from KC Smart Hop on this very show a couple weeks ago, and he was evangelizing KC to us. He sent us this great video of what's going on there and how it's exploding as an e-commerce hub, and it got us really, really interested. So when I saw you come up on our slate, I was excited. And you are you're pretty deep in this Kansas City scene. You went to Missouri Western State University, which, if you people don't know out there, since 2010, the Kansas City Chiefs have used that as their training facility. Yes, that is that is very true. They started doing that after I graduated, sadly, but uh, it's fun to watch when I pass on the highway now and point it out to people like, hey, this is this is pretty neat. <laughs> Kansas City is uh, growing so much, as you mentioned, in all forms of logistics, uh, e-commerce for sure. There's several huge logistics parks uh, all over the area, and a lot of companies are really flocking to Kansas City for a lot of different reasons, you know, obviously being a uh, central Freight Hub, Transportation Network, uh, Central in the United States, and then also having a lot of good uh, labor pool to pull from, good housing, and just a really great infrastructure. So it's nice to know other people are out there pumping up Kansas City. 
Well, before we get down to business, I do have to give you a little cowbell, though, because I noticed that you've received an accolade, and that was you've been named a top woman to watch in trucking by the Women in Trucking Association. So congratulations very much that. It's great to have a strong female leader on this program today. They're always welcome on What the Truck. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's a great, great organization. I'm very honored to be one of the people involved in it. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, excellent. And, and welcome, Jennifer. Mike, Mike Vincent here. So let's get down to business a little bit and talk about Trinity Logistics and yourselves there. Talk about the Responsible Care Program uh, that Trinity has, has, has joined recently, the Responsible Care Program 2009. Yes, absolutely. So Responsible Care is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. It's the global response to uh, safe chemical manufacturing, sourcing, and transportation. So uh, chemical companies, most of the large uh, global chemical companies all are a member of Responsible Care, as are their different tolling facilities and some of the transport providers and some of the asset-based companies. It's to really promote the safety of chemical um, transportation and development and manufacturing to keep uh, employees safe, like in the manufacturing plants, and to make sure that the raw materials are sourced ethically. You know, there's a lot of imports, so they want to make sure that it's sourced ethically and then transported responsibly so that, you know, when you have huge semifuls of chemicals rolling down the street, that you're using a responsible company so that there's no environmental uh, concerns and wrecks and damages. Yeah, especially as the public gets uh, more aware of these sort of issues yeah. and gets more involved and they get more demanding yeah. of boards and companies and that sort of social and environmental responsibility that is ever increasing. You can talk about regulations all you want, but there's also a market now, right, Michael Vincent? I mean, there's actually people who start, are starting to care about these things and making decisions on companies to invest in, to buy in and stuff beyond just what Capitol Hill puts down on this industry. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got to talk about that the Responsible Carrier Act. You've you've uh, that's got to be very very important for your customers as far as their CSRs or their corporate social responsibilities, right? Absolutely. Yeah, most of the companies, as you both mentioned, do have sustainability and environmental initiatives, and they the responsible care companies are encouraged, highly encouraged, to work with other responsible care companies just to make sure that there's alignment in that safety and compliance piece. And uh, for us, the responsible care uh, management protocol comes with uh, strict carrier vetting and training, uh, how we process orders, how we collect information, and how's that in our internal TMS, internal safety protocols that make sure that we have the, the proper safety requirements, insurance, uh, hazmat certificates, uh, tanker endorsements the safety data sheets, it really makes sure that the risk for the customer is mitigated as much as possible so that they don't get some, you know, surprise on the evening news that uh, some of their product has been involved in an accident with an unauthorized carrier. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's not going to go over well, especially no. on social media these days. No. You know, I used to work in the perishable freight industry and in that, I would tell you, you are crazy if you were just to go to a general regular broker without experience, just because they can book a reefer doesn't mean that they're the right partner for you. Chemicals, hazmat, super specialized as well. How important is it to have a partner with experience when you're in this side of the, uh, the field? Wow, it is so very um, important because there's so many, there's so much increasing regulation uh, that a lot of people have a hard time keeping up with it. So it's it's 
really hard for companies to make sure that their logistics managers are trained in so many disciplines and across so many regulations. Uh, a lot of a lot of our customers, we are really able to help them figure out what the best uh, mode is and if they really need to hire a hazmat carrier, is, is the weight limit above or underneath the threshold. And just to be honest with them, I guess, on the cost of, of servicing certain product lines, um, we're able to help them determine if there's items that maybe protect from freeze. And again, one of the newer regulations is the tanker endorsement. A lot of people may not um, know exactly what that means or to make sure that they're hiring the right driver. So if you do go with someone unexperienced, or inexperienced, I should say, then they may accidentally send in a truck to your facility and the driver isn't authorized to haul that. So then you have a, a case where maybe you can't get a replacement driver in there quickly enough and then you miss a vital delivery date to your customer. So it's very important, as you mentioned. It absolutely is. And and so now you, you've, with all this talk of regulation and a minute risk mitigation and, yeah. and don't wake up with your, your freight on the evening news, you've spooked everybody who's who's moving chemicals, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or the, so, yeah. what, of the front of FreightWaves.com or FreightWaves.tv. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So so they're all thinking, I've got to go with asset-based people. I can't have an intermediary in here because I need to have complete control over there. Is that that's not necessarily true? Can you talk to the benefits of having that intermediary intermediary there with that experience to help navigate these waters? Absolutely, absolutely. One of the biggest benefits to customers to at least have an intermediary in their mix of providers is for the opportunity for options and solutions. Most asset-based companies, I mean. Their, their resources and capacity may fluctuate um, depending on seasonality and what other customers are servicing. So they could have a finite um, capacity. Uh, Trinity is able to offer endless capacity to customers. Another value to have an intermediary is just the different modalities. Not every asset-based company is able to offer the different modes like Trinity does, the LTL, the truckload, uh, the protect from freeze, which is which is huge because a lot of chemicals freeze, and in, intermodal and dray. Not a lot of um, not a lot of companies have a lot of drayage providers on speed dial. They may know one or two, and then beyond that, they're kind of clueless. So having having an intermediary with all those um, options is very helpful. Additionally, there's a lot of M and A in the chemical industry. So a lot of times companies may end up with an acquisition or a new product line, a new business line, or in the pandemic where all of a sudden you're having to shift some of your uh, supply chain and where you're shipping to and from because of the wild fluctuations that COVID brought us all. And maybe the asset-based companies aren't in position. They're not on the routing guide. They're like, oh, well, we used to ship this out of Baytown, Texas, and now we're having to ship it out of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Who are we going to call? You know, if you don't have the asset-based players in place, you really need to have another solution. And that's where an intermediary like Trinity really can shine. You know, we were talking about responsibility earlier. One of the topics that comes up is that environmental responsibility. But especially in this space, it's one of those conversations that can trigger people quite easily on both sides mm -hmm. of the aisle, especially mm -hmm. when you're talking about environmental regulation. How do you have those conversations and make the progress that you need to make without... Um, without alienating either side of the equation? Oh, sure. That's a, that's a great question. So 
um, a lot of times it's about asking asking those questions. You know what their what their corporate responsibility programs look like, and what they're doing besides just having it be corporate speak. What they're doing to have an action plan to fulfilling that, and then sometimes it's good to uh, tell illustrate what other customers have found valuable about Trinity. We may say, hey, this this company has um, a duty to their shareholders to reduce emissions by X amount, or they're held accountable uh, to different customers to be a, a member of this program. And this is how Trinity's helped. And then obviously on the uh, carrier side, then we're we're able to make sure that we're going straight to those companies that have the resources and the the drivers and the certifications um, that we need. A lot of it's just about um, education and asking questions. This is becoming less of a problem, but sometimes the people that are carrying out the the logistics and the supply chain, there may be a disconnect between them and their um, corporate responsibility department or their risk people. So maybe maybe there's um, some opportunities for improvement in knowing exactly what what do we need to do as a company to be aligned in this initiative or um, what is what is our pollution insurance? What what does that look like? You know, so it's just I guess illustrating stories and asking good questions helps to um, fill that gap. Excellent. You know, Jennifer, we've talked to a lot of people over the last over the last year about all the challenges, obviously, that people have had in in the logistics and supply chain from the e-commerce issues and and food and beverage and and now talking about the uh, the vaccines. But from the chemical logistics, how have you guys handled the challenges? What have those challenges been over the last year, and how are you challenging? How are you handling those and and moving forward and, and right now? Right. That's a great question. So there have been. A lot of challenges um, in the chemical space and just in managing through that. A lot of our customers had uh, slower sales. Some had heightened sales. Um, I was listening to the um, piece a few minutes ago with um, Rob Benedict, and he was talking about, you know, some companies really had higher sales. The ones that were providing uh, materials for the PPE, they started having increased shipments and from some unlikely or unusual ship points. So um, keeping up with with them and making sure that we were delivering on time and picking up on time and in a really fluid, rapidly changing um, time. And then other companies really bottomed out. And so just trying to support them when they were having their own internal issues of you know, maybe being quarantined, their plants were shutting down because they um, had a COVID outbreak. Um, Luckily, as far as servicing customers during all this, uh, we were able to transition so smooth, smoothly um, into a a remote environment as needed. And so the communication and the ability to support customers never missed a beat. We were able to, you know, plug right in with our, uh, TMS and our phone, everything is connected. We were very well set up to uh, make that transition so that we were able to help customers pretty easily. This year, 2021, the chemical uh, industry itself has a very uh, rosy outlook. So um, I'm anticipating this being a really great year for the chemical manufacturers and then uh, for companies like Trinity who are able to service those customers. 
it, there's no doubt about it. We're talking about two male-dominated industries here. When you talk about oil and gas, the energy yeah. sector, you're talking about freight. But you are a female who's been very successful in this sector. What would you say to young women out there who are looking at this as a career path and wondering about what their career je- trajectory would be? Oh, yes, that, yes, absolutely. I would say communication and grit and just doing your best every day and not taking no for an answer. And if you just stay true to yourself and you're focused in on doing your best. And at the end of the day, a lot of it is about um, communications and building good relationships and knowing how to just how to speak to different people, both internally to internal customers and teammates, and then also externally and finding out what's important to people Um I think I'm a big believer in you can learn anything and you can do anything you set your mind to. So if that's logistics and that's um, persevering and thriving in a male-dominated field, then yeah, absolutely, you can do that. So I would say uh, other females looking to enter into this industry just need to just need to go for it and and not um, set themselves in to situations where they're engaging in like self-limiting behavior. Wow. Well, we'll give you a little cowbell for that. And hey, man, perseverance yep. will take you to Mars, as we learned last Friday on the show. And we talked <laughs> to NASA. Where can we go to learn more information and, and connect with you? Oh, yes. Go to trinitylogistics.com. We also are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. So trinitylogistics.com. Go out, find us. We've got a lot of great ways to connect with our team. And we'd love to hear from everyone listening. Thank you so much. Take care. Hey, thanks, know, now, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jennifer. Now, you, now I got a fellow pirate coming on. This is Ooh, the is he a pirate? D- he's the Dave Portnoy of petrol. Is that right? Yeah, he is. It's, it's Colin McClelland from Digital Wildcatters. He's the co-founder over there. He's revolutionizing content marketing, digital information, and news over in his yeah. space. And he's doing a damn good job at it. Colin, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. What's going on? Where are you at, man? I like that background wow, you got. Very cool. Like that backdrop, this is our studio here in Houston, Digital Wildcatter Studio. You guys are doing it so well. So if you guys don't follow, and I recommend following him on Twitter, look up at Frackslap. You know, they got like an MMA ring in there in case things get a little too heated (laughs) around the office. Is that right? They're doing voiceovers under blankets. I mean, you guys are just having a a, a wild time over at the Wildcatters. Yeah, we're pretty scrappy over here. We don't have the uh, cool setup like you guys have at What the Truck, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. I like some of your, your, your advertisements for Evolve are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Colin, so like couple, and Evolve's going to be super awesome. That's going to be happening, I believe, March 11th. And uh, part of it's going to be emanating out of, out of this studio right here. But introduce yourself really quick and, and Wildcatters. Then we'll get into some of the issues going on in the industry that have been important to you. Yeah, absolutely. So as mentioned, I'm Colin, or some people know me, Frack Slap on Twitter. I am the co-founder, CEO of Digital Wildcatters. And what we've built in the oil and gas space is a community of forward thinkers. And we've done that, you know, just much like you guys, we have podcasts um, that are based around oil and gas startups, the energy industry as a whole. And yeah, really just looking to push the envelope on what the energy industry looks like here in the next 10 to 20 years. Excellent stuff, Colin, and good to see you. He was in our studios uh, last year. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, a few months back. Yeah, yeah. So, so Colin, let's let's dig into some things here. So, you know, Amazon ordered a fleet of of natural gas trucks, right? How do you, how yeah. do you see that a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact? So uh, how do you see that uh, playing into in, into oil and, and gas and, and, and with the change from internal combustion engines into electricity? 
Yeah, I was actually really excited to see that because for me, natural gas seems to be the forgotten fuel when talking about the energy transition. So obviously there's a lot of hype around electric vehicles, both in the consumer and in the industrial space. And you know, I, I think when you look at natural gas, one, I think natural gas has a lot of applications both in the semi world. You know, natural gas emissions are, I think it's somewhere around 25% cleaner than diesel engines. And so when you look at Amazon, Amazon ordered a whole fleet of alternative uh vehicles. You know, they had a mix of electric vehicles and a mix of these uh, CNG, compressed natural gas engines. And I think when you look at the logistics for Amazon, they can use their, you know, they've got a ton of data. They know their routes perfectly, you know, both short distance and long distance. And short distance, you know, it's a really good application for electric vehicles. But when you need some long haul, you know, from the warehouse and distribution centers, EVs aren't there yet, but CNG is. And they've already been used in commercial applications um, here in oil and gas. I mean, it was 10 years ago, I think, or maybe eight years ago that Apache Corporation, uh, one of the larger independent oil and gas companies out in West Texas, had all of their fleet vehicles running off of CNG that they were producing out there in the field. And so they had this little closed loop system, you know, they're producing gas, they're compressing it, and then they had all their trucks outfitted for it. So for me, I really think that natural gas is the bridge between, uh, you know, more traditional thermal fuel uh, sources like coal and oil and where we're moving to in the future, which is electric vehicles. And, you know, I can get started on a rant. You know, a lot of people think that electricity just comes from the wall, that you just plug these trucks and these consumer vehicles into the wall and electricity is generated. But what a lot of people don't know is that over 60% of electricity is generated from natural gas from coal and from oil and natural gas has actually been taking market share from coal plants, which coal fired plants are about as dirty as it gets. So natural gas is actually taking market share away from those and cleaning up our energy sources today. And this isn't something that we're talking about, you know, 20, 30 years from now, it's happening right now. So you think that's a good strategy for like company like Hylion as well to focus on the RNG, that renewable natural gas. Some other companies have tried to focus on hydrogen, other types of alternative fuels. But is RNG natural gas, is that the horse you think to ride at least through this bridge period? That's that's the horse that I, I'd place my money on. I mean, when you look at EVs or hydrogen, you know, I think hydrogen is interesting, but I don't think hydrogen when, when you look at actually extracting hydrogen and processing it and getting it to where it can be a fuel, there's so much efficiency lost in the process that it doesn't make sense. Whereas RNG or CNG, you know, you can you can produce this stuff and then run it through a motor. And you already have, like, you can look at Cummins. Cummins has a ton of natural gas generators and engines. Like, we already have the infrastructure and the technology for this. So in my mind, 100%, that's the horse to bet on. If you were looking, you know, if you had a fleet of 1,000 trucks, reducing your carbon emissions by 25% extrapolated over a thousand trucks. I mean, that's a pretty big dent in carbon emissions and you can do that with CNG and RNG today. Yeah. So, hey, our, our keynote speaker today, uh, Ronnie uh, Peranek of WOM, uh, she, in her final thoughts, was talking about how she saw um, you know, oil and gas uh, being partnership with the new alternative energies, right? Never, never going away. And when you think about what you're talking about with the, the uh, uh, RNG and the L, uh, nat natural gas uh, being the bridge moving forward from thermal to the electric, 
but then you start talking about the stress on the on the grid there in, in Texas that just occurred uh, and how most of that is is actually uh, generated uh, and people realizing where electricity actually comes. Do you see that? Is her statement true? Does that ring true with you as you move forward? It, it's always there. It's always that partnership and there'll always be that use there in energy. Yeah. I mean, when you look at oil and gas companies, they're really energy companies, right? And as long, for them, as long as assets make economic sense, they're interested in it. And what a lot of people don't know is that, yeah, Texas is known as an oil and gas state, but we also produce as much wind power, more wind power than any other state in the U.S. You know, in my backyard where I grew up in Midland, Texas and West Texas, you had pump jacks pumping oil and you had wind wind farms producing wind energy. And so Texas and all of the companies that are involved are at the end of the day, they're energy companies and they're looking to provide energy no matter what source it comes from. And I also think that that's an important, you know, you brought up what we went through last week in Texas with the polar vortex. And, you know, we were looking at post data now from ERCOT, which is the uh, system that runs Texas power grid. We were four minutes away from catastrophic failure from the entire thing falling apart. And what really started was, you know, we have um, the wind farms out in West Texas and the wind turbines ended up freezing and going offline. And so when that happens, you have backup power, which are your natural gas and coal-fired plants. And so natural gas production uh, produced electricity shot up to replace what we lost in the uh, in the wind capacity and then started running into issues where natural gas infrastructure started freezing up and they didn't have any supply of natural gas for the power plants. That's when things really started turning around and kind of going south when we lost that natural gas production and also had some problems with coal and nuclear as well. But I think it really highlighted there, there were a lot of back and forth the last two weeks, you know, between oil and gas saying, oh, this is renewables fault. It was wind and solar just dropping off the map. You had the, the renewable people saying, well, natural gas didn't do its job either <laughs> in being a good backup uh, power supply. But really, I think what, high, what in my mind, what was highlighted last week in Texas is that moving forward, you need a diverse supply of energy, whether it's wind, solar, oil and gas, nuclear, coal, but more importantly, it needs to be well-planned so that when some of these systems do fail, you have backup power to come back on. But yeah, you know, I think that everyone that I interface here uh, in the oil and gas industry is passionate about all things energy. And, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of negative sentiment from the renewables and the climate tech side when they talk about oil and gas. And then you have some negative sentiment from the oil and gas folks and they talk about renewables. But at the end of the day, it's all energy and we're all looking, you know, for ways to power the world. Yeah, you mentioned it right there. I mean, people couldn't wait to dunk on whatever type of energy form they hated. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're perfectly willing to lie about it, too. If you saw, like, the meme with the with the helicopters shooting accelerant on, on the wind tunnel, which is actually <laughs> from Sweden in 2014. <laughs> but don't let the truth get in the way of a good meme because, it you know, people just want to dunk on what they don't like. We actually asked Jennifer about that. What, in your opinion, and maybe it is through memes, what, in your opinion, is a good way to bridge the conversation through these different forms of energy? Because Vincent brought it up. Eventually Eventually, all of these forms are going to have to work together if it's going to be sustainable, if it's going to work, and if we're going to have grids that actually work and power people, too, because the issue is bigger than just a wind farm or a or, or one particular type of industry, um, energy. Yeah. Yeah, I think what was really special to me about last week was there's a, a large energy community on Twitter, and it's kind of segmented into your your specific verticals and niches. But last week was the first time that I'd seen everyone on Twitter 
really come together. And like you said, Dunian, you know, there were some things going around like that helicopter spraying and just, you know, some BS things that, um, you know, just weren't the truth. Um, but also it's like one of my favorite memes I saw coming out that week from one of my friends, Blake Street Bomber, was that scene from uh, Anchorman where they all meet in the alley <laughs> and they have like, you know, all the newscasts are fighting each other. One was oil and gas, one was coal, one was solar and thermal. And at the end of the day, like everyone knew that this was a failure in planning by ERCOT, but everyone was taking side of their favorite energy source and attacking each other. But um, there was been some very good conversation. You know, for us, it's kind of like the Super Bowl of energy because everyone was getting to see what happens in a scenario like that. But yeah, you know, I, I think a big objective for myself and Digital Wildcatters is that we want to be that bridge between the two. There's innovative solutions, um, both with oil and gas and with and climate tech that are going to solve tomorrow's problems. You know, I'm a big believer that some of the most impactful uh, carbon and uh, emissions uh, mitigation technology is going to come from oil and gas in the next 10 years. You look at some of the technologies that we have, you know, we, we flare excess uh, natural gas into the atmosphere and we just re release methane and there are companies that are backed by Peter Thiel and the uh, Winklevoss twins that are actually harvesting that natural gas and using it to uh, mine Bitcoin and power servers out in the middle of North Dakota and West Texas. And so you, right there, you're automatically, you're taking gas that was being flared up into the atmosphere and you're using it to power servers. And so I think there's a lot of cool technology in oil and gas that's making an impact on the environment in the next five to 10 years. We're not talking about, you know, 2050, 2060. We're talking about, you know, two years from now. So I think that people just need to be open-minded when they look at um, different energy sources. And when we transition, we need to be very pragmatic and sensible with it. Because if we were to divest every dollar from oil and gas today, we'd have a collapse of society. I mean, that's a fact. That's not an opinion. Everything runs on oil and gas. And I don't think anyone wants to live that life. I went two, two days without power last week and I could see my breath in the kitchen. What, what was your, people... what was your power bill? Because uh, we were just, we were yeah. just looking at a story that came out today. <laughs> Some lady, she received a power bill for $9,340 last week. She's putting out a billion dollar class action suit. This seems fundamentally broken now that it's been stress test. What does your bill look like? And would you agree with that? Yeah, so here's how Texas energy system works. It's deregulated, and so you have a lot of energy providers, retail um, elect electricity providers. And one way that you can do that is through wholesale electricity. One of those companies' names is Gritty, and I had Gritty, so I got wholesale electricity. But with that, you know that there's a risk, and that risk is, hey, if you have a price spike, you're exposed to that wholesale pricing. And guess what? It capped out, and it was $9 a kilowatt, where it's typically 2 to $0.03 cents a kilowatt. And so if you weren't mindful of that and you were continuing to run your power and you ran 1,200 kilowatts of energy at $9 a kilowatt, yeah, you're going to have a $9,000 bill. I was more of the opinion of, I'm just going to turn off my power and I've got blankets and a jacket <laughs> yeah, and it's cold, but we'll, we'll manage. But yeah, there's, um, it, it's a failure in the system and you can point fingers at, you know, where the failure was at. But ultimately I think that there was a lack of planning. We shouldn't have ever been in that situation, but this is also something to be cognizant of as people want to scale electric vehicles. The nation has a massive grid problem. This isn't just Texas. You see it in uh, California all the time. You know, all the Midwestern states lost their power last week. And now you're wanting to put more stress on it with electric vehicles. And that's fine. But we have to be able to build a resilient grid. And right now that grid is fueled 63% by uh, natural gas and coal and 
petroleum. So people need to be a little bit realistic in how we move forward as a society in electrifying everything and not simultaneously collapsing society. Colin, before we let you go, tell us and, and thank you for that measured response. Uh, we appreciate sometimes we need to hear that these days. Um, but tell yeah. us, uh, <laughs> tell us what's going on at Evolve. Just sell us on Evolve before you before you take off here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, oil and gas, we had a double black swan event last year, you know, with quarantine and oil price wars between Saudi and Russia. And so it's drastically changed the way that the oil and gas industry looks uh, moving forward. And so what we're doing with our Evolve event is we've actually partnered up with you guys over at FreightWave. So we'll be doing it on March 10th, digital event, talking about all the technology that's happening um, in oil and gas to push the industry forward and talking about some of the topics, you know, like what's happening with the Dakota Access Pipeline and and things of that nature. We'll be doing a walk around on a Marcellus well up there in the Northeast with uh, Toby Rice, CEO of EQT, looking at some of the technology that they're utilizing. So it's going to be a good time. Yeah. Cool. Colin, where do people reach out to learn more? We told them on Twitter at Fraxlap. It's a must follow Twitter account. Where else? Yeah. So obviously on Twitter at Fraxlap. And then you can find us at digitalwildcatters.com. And my personal podcast, Oil and Gas Startups, goes out every week. It's on Apple and Spotify. Catch you at Evolve, brother. Wait. Take it easy. All right. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks, Have Colin. Good there. Yeah. Good stuff talking. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and he talks about that grid and you. It, it, Everything's a supply chain. Everything. Energy is a yes. supply chain, too. And if you stress test a supply chain, if you suddenly shock a system, no pun intended, with, with electric vehicles, right? You put too many out at once without putting the infrastructure in, you're going to have major problems. And that's what he was outlining right there. We've got a segment we do on the show every Friday at this time of the day. It's a little bad news, good news. Uh, bad news and good news. Oh, yeah. There's a poll going on in the comments. The poll going on in the common, and I got a little bad news, good news about that one. First, he says oh, it's a pirate shirt. You're right. It's not a camo shirt. It's a pirate shirt. Pirate flag. Camo shirt? No. Yeah. I don't know. Can this get, we need a higher fidelity. We, got, we need 8K cameras instead of 4K. We need one of those Apple 4K TVs. Absolutely. They? Well, here we go. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Houston won an award. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who doesn't want to they win an award? Right well, now. it's for, uh, here's the bad news. Houston mm. wins the award for most truck bottleneck city on a congestion list okay so who is on here houston received the most entries among the top 100 bottlenecks in the country according to the american transportation research institute's annual annual list on congestion hotspots for carriers and drivers uh with eight bottleneck areas on atra's 2020 ranking houston was followed by atlanta los angeles was on there as u.s cities with the most bottlenecks um the intersection of i-95 and S4 in Fort Lee, New Jersey, though, near the western approach to the notorious packed George Washington Bridge. That was ranked as the number one freight bottleneck in the country for the third year in a row. And it hurts even more because you got to pay so much money to go over that bridge just to pick up those containers and make those deliveries. Yeah, to pay pay all that money for all that inconvenience is kind of tough to take, isn't it? Hey, Chattanooga made the list. Yeah, oh, we did. Where were we? We were were seventh, so I-75 and uh, 24 right over here, right right around the corner from where we're at right here, uh, made uh, seventh worst. I believe that traffic here is typically good, except when there's like an accident and then it can get really bad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So here's some good news. It's contract season for ocean freight. My sure friend, is. it is. It's, it's great news. Here's the bad news. Oh, you're a shipper, my friend. Uh-oh. What's going on? <laughs> and if you don't know what's going on, that's not real good news for you. It's very hard to do it. So, incredibly, the Asia West Coast spot rates are now nearing a base rate of 5,000 per 40-foot equivalent unit or an FEU. Wow. Not a TEU, a 40-foot. 
uh, not including the uh, few thousand dollars that it's going to of extra charges that are slapped on top, right? <laughs> see, yeah. So, um, and they're saying that these spot rates could stay strong all the way through Q4. So you're kind of um, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So they're saying the spot rates are going to stay elevated. So you want to think about contract rates. You want to think about contract rates because they're going to be started, but the contract rates are are, are way up as well. And it's not just the bottom feeders. It's it's the major high volume ones as well. Uh, and you think about these rates, you look at them at $5,000, $5,000 spot rate or the 5000 base rate for a 40 foot is really about eight or nine grand when you get into all the other surcharges to make sure the stuff moves. Yeah. And these, this is several thousand dollars over what you would typically see in a normal oh, yeah. non-peak season. Not to mention that, you know, one thing they do in ocean shipping all the time is they try to bring in GRIs, but in soft markets, they, they always get washed away. They don't stick. In they markets don't. like this, they do stick. But here's the worst thing about about ocean freight, maybe all types of freight, is that the more expensive it gets, the worse service you get. Because yeah, that's true. the network is so stressed. Now you go ship something from Shanghai to Los Angeles. You're spending $5,000. You're spending $2,000 in accessorials. But then you're also having to sit out at anchor for days, if oh, not and, weeks. And you're getting rolled at, at various ports. Yeah. You, you need to see that visibility. You may have made this ship in Shanghai. It's not a good time. But there's a few different stops before it gets here. Yeah. And you get rolled at any one of those. <laughs> it's a tough time. I am so yeah. glad I'm not in that bid season it's right like now. It's like the George Washington Bridge. You're paying yeah. a lot of money for frustration. I have, we've both sold freight, too. I'm glad I'm not in those negotiations right Ooh, now because then it hurts relationships. What really happens here is you go in and you go to these sales meetings, too, and you introduce a rate like that. And if you're the first guy to do it, you're the messenger who gets their throat slit because they're like, oh, this guy's trying to rip us off. Yeah. That's and they don't remember, like they don't they don't think, oh, critically, oh, the next guy comes in, and they're all telling him the same thing. You're the jerk who who got him woke to uh, yeah. those rates. Yeah, yeah. You're Not the one me. who broke the bad news first, so therefore you're the you're trouble. Here's more bad news. <laughs> oh gosh. Here's Come more on. bad news. You're Come an on. owl flying at two thirty AM in Little Rock, Arkansas, when a semi truck struck you. Wow. The good news about starting with bad news is that we have good news. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it can't get worse, right? No, CDL, right. CDL life. And, and also, do you think on this show, I cover animals all the time. you think I'd cover an animal dying? No, I, I yeah, did. I was pretty sure it wasn't bad news and yeah. worse news. I know, I know. <laughs> I miracle, miracle stories for animals. CDL life and Fox 16 report that the owl was discovered amazingly on the back of that flat bed. The unnamed trucker, he saw the owl. He had a heart and he said, man, I don't know what to do with uh with, I was going to say Smokey. Smokey's a bear. Who's the owl? Who's a Tootsie Pop owl? Uh, I don't know. Who are I don't the owls? know. <laughs> well, anyways, the cop comes over. But I know over. it they takes got, three licks. They got, they got <laughs> bo- three licks to get there and a nice bite. Well, the, the cop comes over. They got body Mr. Owl. They got body. I guess that was easy enough. Mr. Owl. So uh, <laughs> this guy, the cop comes over. He's got the body cam footage. He says, hey, Mr. Owl. One of the officers, he could be heard saying over the thing. Yeah. And then uh, the concerned trucker is not really helping. He says, hey, anyone have any idea what kind There's of owl that is? There's a burrow owl. That one, it's the kind of owl that was hit by a semi-truck. Well, thankfully, the Little Rock Zoo <laughs> transferred the bird over to Raptor Rehab. Um, they said, Rodney Paul over at Raptor Rehab, he said about 95% of our intakes come from car strikes. He said he thought he'd be picking up just a bundled mess of bunched up a bunched up feathers, mangled mm, feathers covered God, in blood. I really on. did. Mm. He said, you really can tell it's sore. We're going to keep him on some pain medication for about five <laughs> days. You know, put him, in the, put him in the ice water bath, let him rehab a little bit. And then um, Mr. Owl will be back on the beat testing them. Yeah, pops. just put him on a morphine drip for a couple days, let him chill. You ever hit an animal while driving? Yeah, I've, yes, I have. I've hit a, I've hit a deer. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, squirrels here and there. But yeah. the two, the mate, a deer ran right over it. Boom. Underneath the underneath the tire and an alligator going across Alligator Alley. Oh yeah, not not yeah. like a tire alligator. 
No, not oh. like an actual alligator. It looked like a you know, when you're driving across there in the summer, you see those the, in the, the little the little heat shadows, right? It looks yeah. like you see that vapor that's sitting there, and as it got closer and closer, maybe it's a, a palm frond. No, it was an did, alligator. Did you squish it? Did it get squashed? It rolled. I bumped. I jumped, and it oh. was rolling like crazy. And the person I was driving with wanted to stop. I was like, no, the it's not dead. It's really mad, and I'm not hanging with that. <laughs> I reported we, we, it, but that's it. We hit a deer on the way back from South Carolina once. My I was a kid. My dad was driving, yeah. but I was in the front seat, and it like you just see it go flying over the thing it's such a weird situation to be in yeah. everything just stops right away yeah 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 it's very strange hey you know he talked about bitcoin colin talked about bitcoin and how gas is being used to mine it i brought back a show yesterday i haven't done it in a while bringing it back this year freight waves insiders it's one-on-one interviews career journeys and issues yesterday we talked about an issue and the reason we covered it is that a lot of drivers a lot of brokers have started to trade have started to trade stocks and have started to get mm-hmm. into cryptocurrency during lockdowns when we were talking on that show uh, a lot about what that means, what it means for investments. If you'd like to get your 401k in Bitcoin and, you know, instead of having a 401k, you like Bitcoin, would you actually like your whole salary in Bitcoin? Would you like to pull a Tesla and invest, uh, and invest serious amounts of capital in that or what Square has just done? Yeah, or if you're a true. startup, would you take your seed round and put it in Bitcoin? This is always a more compelling conversation when Bitcoin's going up. But had a great time talking to Charlie DeHoney and uh, Taylor Monks from Basic Block on that one. Look up Freightways Insiders on your favorite podcast player of choice. After today, we still have three more days of these things with three amazing keynotes. Bob Corker, former U.S. Senator. We have Gary V. Gary, you know Gary V, don't you? Little empathy. And then James Pomery, right, from um, HSBC Bank. Excited yeah, we for do. next week? What's that? You excited for next oh, week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, love, I love the maritime aspect of it. It's going to be awesome. I bet contract season is going to be coming up. Yeah, I bet we'll hear something about that. I think that in the glitterati, in the comments <laughs> section over at live.freightwaves.com, I bet all the beautiful people will be complaining yeah. about those rates that they're seeing. And, you yeah. know, those high rates, they might help the ocean carriers, but they don't help, they don't help the brokers and they don't help the shippers because they create a lot of hard conversations. They make a lot of hard conversations. I think Gary Vee will have something to say about that and how to manage yourself during those conversations through the, through the negotiations of all those different contracts because it's going to be very, very difficult. And Finding out just how long is this going to happen? Can we correct this? And is there a way to future proof from this type of situation from happening in the future? Absolutely. Hey, guys, if you like this show, look it up on your favorite podcast player of choice. We are called What the Truck. Once again, we are live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at noon Eastern time during a non-event schedule. If you want all these podcasts one feed, look up Freightcast. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That is D-O-O-N-E-R. Look me up on LinkedIn. Vincent the Dude on Twitter. Michael Vincent. A little cowbell. For all you in the old gas, deal with those struggles of the past year. What do you got to say, Michael? Peace and love, everybody. Peace and love. Peace and love. Have a great weekend. We will see you Monday and stick around.